Colby Daniels Podcast, and happy Tuesday, Davis, everyone. I am Colby Daniels, along with Aaron Davis. Aaron, we uh, we we had scheduling conflicts last week, so we took the week off, but we are back. Uh, we watched an insane weekend of football. What is happening, man? Not much. Yeah, it was... Uh... <clears throat> Wedding's coming up soon, so, you know, had to take care of some stuff down in Austin last week. But uh, finally back, finally uh, into watching sports. I luckily, like, you know, I guess the playoffs started, I, mean, I guess the wild card game playoffs started in baseball last week while I was down there. But, you know, back in time to watch the Astros. I have a super stoked today to uh, watch the uh, game four. I'm really glad it got rained out yesterday because what, I mean, come on, what are we doing with all these two o'clock starts? I understand it's Houston and, you know, the White Sox, the not popular Chicago team, but. Yeah. Still, three out of their four games in the series have been an afternoon first pitch. Yeah, I've not seen a, a single live pitch of that series to this point. Right, yeah. Like, you know, and like I said, I'm glad it got postponed to today because I'm off work today and I'm going to get to watch, like, first pitch to last pitch and hopefully it goes well. And yes, I have uh, I have forgiven them, Colby, okay? <laughs> I was mad at them for, I was mad at them for a year. <laughs> oh, and, yuck, yuck. Look, I think, look, it's easier for me to, like, give up on the Texans and go to a different team because I've been a fan of a different NFL team before. Like, I was a Titans fan, like, diehard Titans fan before I was a Texans fan. Yeah. So, like, I know what it's like to, you know, root for a different NFL team. But the Astros are the first team that I ever rooted for. Yeah. They're the first team that I've ever been a fan of. They're like, you know, they took my my sports cherry, so it's just I I can't quit them. I get it. And they're good. They're good, too, so that helps. Yeah. I get it. But, Yeah. It's, I mean, look, I've been a Cowboys fan my whole life, so I get it. There have been multiple right. times throughout my fandom that I'm like, oh, I'm just disgusted with everything they, they do. And look. But I'm still here. Here I am. So They got caught cheating. I think, too, what it helps in is baseball because everybody cheats and you're ignorant if you think that not everybody in baseball is trying to cheat somehow. The game's too hard, especially at that level, to not use anything that you can use to get an advantage. But they've been good since they got caught cheating. I mean, they went to the ALCS last year. They're a game away from the ALCS this year, even though, you know, they're being accused of cheating in the middle of the series. So, whatever. right. But well, here's the problem I'm, with the Astros. And I, I'm, it's amazing that we're starting with baseball today, but uh, we'll cut, we'll get to football. I promise. It'll be short. So. Yeah. But yeah. I will say that it's a lot like the steroid situation, right? I think there are two layers to why people hate the Astros so much right now. The first layer is a lot like Barry Bonds. Like people didn't, people don't hate the steroid users that never broke any records or that never right. like became Hall of Fame caliber players. Right, They hate all the steroid users that became Hall of Fame players or broke records. The Astros won a World Series. So people are like, you cheated, and it also helped you get to the highest level. Like It helped Barry Bonds become the home run leader. Secondly, all the steroid users that ever apologized, for the most part, people even completely forgot that they ever did it most of the time. I mean, they don't even get brought up in the conversation about who cheated. And it's the guys that, that kind of either brushed it off or denied it that are still remembered as cheaters. And I don't know how genuine most baseball fans felt like any of the Astros' apologies were. And I don't even remember them apologizing. Well, yeah, there, there really wasn't. I think, didn't Bregman say something really weird? Like, there was some sort of, like, half-assed apology, I think, from Bregman yeah. that, that was, I think, probably made fans even more angry. And then the one season that I think they were going to really pay the, like, public... Uh, like get some public justice with people booing them every time they stepped into a ballpark. We had a pandemic, and so fans never got to like. That's fair. Yeah, so I think there, like, there, there's a reason why I think people still really dislike the Astros as opposed to maybe other scenarios. Yeah, I could see that. I forgave them though, you know. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Look, of course. I don't like. I could see it in their eyes. I don't need the. I don't need a verbal apology. You know, it's it's the it's the it's the gestures. But yeah, yeah. baseball play, playoff baseball is fun though. Yeah. 
I also just don't like Alex Bregman's face. And I he don't like Jose very, Altuve's yeah. face. They oh, just look oh. like like just giant a-holes. Because why? Because they're both five foot five? Probably. They're both shorter than me, so I can say that, I guess. <laughs> Freaking douchebags. Yeah. I, I, I love Correa, though. Really? I think he's the douchiest of them and all. I like uh, I like Guriel. Oh, yeah. Well, the, you got to love Guriel because, I mean, he's like, they say he's like 38, but he's probably like 45. <laughs> right. Like, he gets, a year, he gets two years older Nobody every year. Nobody really knows how old he is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's interesting because I think Correa comes off the douchiest of them all. Just because he's, he, I mean, I guess it really just depends how you look at it because he's yeah. pretty open with the media. Yeah. He'll be honest with them. So, you know, either comes off douchey or, you know, comes off, I guess, right. likable. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. At least they have some personalities that you can hate. That's, yeah, for sure. Because that's usually a sign of being a good team in any sport. Yeah, for sure. How many how many uh, Miami Dolphins do you hate? Um, I, I'll right, be honest, exactly. man. I don't know how many Miami Dolphins I can name. That's my point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. If you're, if you usually you don't hate players on bad teams because you don't know who they are. Right. But. Yeah. I, well, I to, I've told you this. Like, I was, as a Rangers fan, I never hated the Astros because they were, I mean, they weren't even in the American League for most of my life. Like, it that the Astros being the rival was never a thing. So I grew up hating the Yankees in the American league. Cause that was the team. Like the Rangers couldn't seem to get past. So the Yankees were always my most hated team. And then when they lost to the, the Cardinals in 2011, the Cardinals kind of joined that list. I, I will say the, the Astros are probably number three now just because of all the success they've had over the last five years. And you add like the, the off field storylines, but like when they got to the, I mean, when they were making that world series run, for example, like I was, I wasn't rooting against them just because they had been in the AL West. Like it was just one of the, like they, you know, they hadn't been there long enough, I guess, for me to hate them. So, uh, yeah, our, our top two is the same. Like it's Yankees and Cardinals for oh, me. Like yes. I can't stand either of those teams. And I like when the Astros were in the National League, the Rangers were my like go, my backup team. I and mean, they were the other Texas team. So like, yeah, the 2010, 2011 World Series. Like I was full in on the Rangers, and yeah, of course they like let the freaking Cardinals win a World Series Ugh, and just gross. ate at me. Gross. Yeah, yeah, AL West is too like. Those teams are too likable. Outside of the Angels, like I think the A's and Mariners are extremely likable as sports organizations. Yeah, I never liked the Angels that much, but I love Mike Trout, and now I love Shohei. So, like, I don't know. There's just never been an AL West team that I was like, oh, I hate that team. Yeah. I mean, the Angels are kind of like the redheaded set, like little brother of the Dodgers anyway. Exactly. So it's kind of like, it's like the White Sox. How do you hate the White Sox when they did the same time as the Cubs? Yeah, unless you're like a Cubs fan. Right. Yeah, I'm. yeah, I agree. So, yeah, the Yankees were always the team I hated, and then the Cardinals joined that list. And, like, I, I, I wasn't even opposed to the Astros beating the Dodgers the year they won the World Series. I thought it was a pretty great story, in fact. But yeah, Me too. Yeah. In hindsight, I'm like, oh, gross. Yeah, they still beat the Dodgers, though. I mean, you're, you're <laughs> you know, your retingency plan there, our silver medal prize or whatever, is uh, it's a freaking Dodgers winning a World Series with yeah. their $900 million payroll. Yeah. It's a big payroll, but I'll say this, like 90% of that roster I've actually watched play baseball in Oklahoma City, so... Right, but just weird, crazy. That, that makes me like them a lot, because it's it's mostly guys that I've watched play inside the Bricktown Ballpark. Yeah, I mean, that's crazy. I mean, like I've seen Kershaw I mean, play inside the Bricktown Ballpark, for crying out loud. Same, yeah. yeah. I mean, a lot of people talk... I mean, it's, it's well-known, but, like, it's still... I think it's probably not talked about enough in sports is that the Dodgers, like have all this money, but like the core of their team outside of Mookie Betts is built through yeah. through their farm system. Yeah. AJ Pollock, Mookie Betts are obviously like big, you know, those are guys that were 
major league all stars before they got to the they traded for Trey Turner this year. Yeah, and Max Turner, Scherzer, but Max like, Scherzer is he's at the end of his career. Like this is just a yeah, like jump on a team and try and ride the World Series. Yeah, Will Smith though, Max Muncie, Cody Bellinger, Gavin Lux, Corey Seager. Uh, who else? I mean. I mean, he never played in Oklahoma City, but Justin Turner's, I mean, he, yeah, just, yeah. he's been in the organization forever. Yeah. I mean, he became a big time player with the Dodgers. Right. I don't, I don't, I haven't seen him play in Oklahoma City, though. Uh, Urias think, he, was in Oklahoma City a, for a while. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, Turner's in his late 30s. He was already, like, established in the majors by the time yeah. the Dodgers came to Oklahoma City. But it's fun, man. Anyway. I'm, uh, I'm stoked for this game today. It's, Look, regular season baseball, whatever, man. You either it's I understand why you can't get into it, but like playoff baseball, it's it's awesome, man. Yeah, it's so good. Um, I, I I tweeted this the other night. I absolutely love in the postseason when a pitcher gets an inning-ending strikeout with runners on base. Like the emotion that that's on display when a pitcher punches a dude out to end the inning and like there are runners on second and third. And there's just like, every, like everybody on that team is just going nuts. Cause they get out of this right. really intense jam. So good. Yeah. I mean, playoff baseball is just such a roller coaster, roller coaster of like emotions. Because I mean, if you look at it this way, like, so if your team's pitching best case scenario, like you're like, you get the bare minimum of like not allowing a run. Like it's either like that's the best case scenario is nothing happens for you for your yeah. team, but like you said, if a couple of runners get on, like you start stressing out and you're like, oh god, and, and, yeah. you know, like it's baseball, so like, you know, if they score two runs, like, or three runs, like if it score, if a team gets like a four run lead, that like that lead feels insurmountable a lot of the time, especially yeah. in the playoffs with as good as these teams are, like yeah, every pitch matters, and then and, and you know, teams batting obviously, like there's a incredible highs, but like, again, like. It's very hard to reach those highs. I don't know. It's fun. I don't know. I, I don't need to sell p- baseball to people because either they're going to like baseball already or they're just not going to be into it. So. By the way, when I uh, when I post this podcast episode, I'm going to put a time mark on when we talk football. Baseball talk ends? Yeah, like when the baseball <laughs> okay. talk ends because I know there are a lot of people that don't like it. So I'm going to be like, here's the new episode. Uh, if you don't like baseball, just start the episode at like the whatever minute like, mark. I'm, and, I'm ready to talk football. Yeah. Like, you yeah. Know. I, well, I, I do want to say game. this. The Red Sox, holy cow, dude. The last week at Fenway, they they beat their rival, the Yankees, in the wild card game. Fenway was just breathing fire that night. It was so incredible to watch. And then to take down the number one team in the American League in four games, get both wins at Fenway, the extra inning win with the crazy bounce off the player that that uh, prevents a run, and then the walk-off over the green monster, and then last night to get the win in the bottom of the ninth. I mean, it, it kind of feels like that whole like team of destiny type of, of thing for Boston. So if Houston wins today or they win game five, this will be the third time the Astros and Red Sox have played in the ALCS in the past five years. That's insane. So rubber match, I guess, because obviously Boston won in 2018 and Houston won in 2017. But uh, I thought today is is the Houston White Sox series 2-1? Yeah, 2-1 Houston. 2-1, Actually, okay. correct me. Houston did not play Boston in 2017. They played in the ALDS. But okay. yeah, so they lost to Boston in the ALCS in 2018, though. I know that for a fact. But uh, yeah, 2-1. Um, yeah, Houston got slaughtered on on sunday but i mean it was close they just you know kind of blew they got slaughtered the but it was close well i mean it, it was tight <laughs> it was a tie game going to like the sixth inning okay and then okay. why the white Sox jumped up to a big lead after that and got like six runs but All right. it was like i mean it was fine but uh yeah i'm stoked i'm excited to, uh i haven't sat down and watched i mean i watched game one and game two but like before yeah. that like i haven't watched a full baseball game since like april 
anyways. Nice. Okay. Uh, I'm going to do, I'm just going to do a reset for those people. Here's where I'm going to earmark the, uh, the football conversation. And it's like, we're starting the football episode of the podcast. So it is the Colby Daniels podcast. I am Colby Daniels along with Aaron Davis. Aaron, what a football weekend it was and welcome football fans. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, my fantasy weekend was pretty trash, but like, other than that, yeah, great weekend. Um, I was, I was sick. No, I was really sick. Uh, wink, wink. I was sick. I'm just kidding. I'm sick. Uh, on Saturday, so I actually got to stay home and uh, you know curl up on the couch and watch college football all day. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know if there was a better way to start the weekend than than OU Texas. Um, I, I, I know you've talked about it a lot over the past few days, but I, it doesn't matter how much I've talked about it. It ceases to be as crazy, even when you talk about it the fifth or sixth or seventh. It's like so, it's still just as wild. A lot of people, I, I I don't say a lot of people. I have seen some people say that it was like the best football game or best college football game or best you know Red River rivalry shootout, whatever game they've ever seen. I don't know if I want to throw the best label on there, but it might have been the craziest. Like, so it Dusty been- Dvorak told me yesterday that Kirk Herbstreet texted him on Sunday and said that's the best football game he's ever seen. I, well, I mean, that's, Kirk Herbstreit, a lot of football games. Yeah, who's done a, I mean, lot, a lot of football big games. football games. Said, told Dusty that was the best football game he's ever seen. I I, I don't know that I would go that far, but I it think it's craziest. the best Red River I mean, game I think I've ever seen. I'll go there. Apparently, so did you go? No, I didn't. You stayed. Okay. Well, apparently the crowd was just out of their minds. Which yeah. for that game I could see they you know they weren't in the the Cotton Bowl last year, so I could feel like they're more amped up. And I think both fan bases felt like both teams were good, right? Like, that is a completely different atmosphere when both fan bases feel like they have a good football team versus the last 10 years where, like, even though we've had great games, we've had, check this out, dude, we've had eight straight Red River games at the Cotton Bowl that ended in one possession finishes. Eight straight one possession finishes. So we've had a ton of good games in this series, but, like, you can speak to this. For the last 10 years, Oklahoma has been the better football team every single year going into this game. And there's not nearly the same excitement level for the game. Like when the Texas fans walk in, they like hope their team is going to win and they're going to cheer for their team. But they know that they don't have the better team, right? Like there's there's less venom and I think less overall excitement for the game because I think both fan bases feel like like from a from a talent standpoint or like from a we are a good football team standpoint one team is clearly better than the other. This is the first time, I think, in a decade, and I said on the radio, first time since 2009 when Colt McCoy and Sam Bradford were quarterbacking these teams that I feel like the gap has been closed to where it is this year. Like, I I don't think Texas is on the same level because in 2009, I think those teams were on the same level. I don't think Texas is quite on the same level, but I think that gap is so slim this year as opposed to other years that both, like, there, there, there had to be a level of respect from Oklahoma for Texas this year as opposed to other years. And if you're a Texas fan, you have to believe that this year you have your best chance of pulling it off because your team feels like it, it has confidence. So I think just the pregame belief that these were somewhat equal teams adds to why that environment was crazy. Yeah, um, I think too, uh, you know, OU fans, feel, you know, having a full half of being justified and like, I mean, it, you know, it's hard not to, you know, get more into what's going on or cheer harder for a player when he's proving you right. And there's a lot of OU fans that were in their minds proven right in that in that game. And yeah, I mean, it's a half of football, but like you got to I mean, Caleb Williams. It, look, so I, I text you about this on Saturday. Like, it is crazy how as soon as Caleb Williams enters that game, 
that OU offense looks like it's looked for the past five. Like it's, it looked exactly how you would expect a Lincoln or Riley offense is supposed to look. Yes. And it, it made me wonder, like, is it because they changed too? They changed in the middle of the game, so it's not like they changed the game plan. Is it like was Spencer Rattler just not executed? Like, was it a stubbornness not to execute the game plan the right way? Was it like could they really implement like two different like game plans and like figure it out in the middle of a game by switching quarterbacks? Because I mean, how many times did Caleb? I mean, he threw some like. 50-50 balls downfield to Marvin Mims, but like, how many passes did he throw in double coverage? Like he, I never felt like he forced the ball in any situation. Right. Like you know, worst case scenario, it was a jump ball to Marvin Mims, or you know, figuring something out down the field like that. But I mean, Spencer Rattler just continuously like would make passes that you're like, who is he throwing to, or why is he throwing to that guy? And it just, I don't know. It made me kind of think that maybe it is just a like straight up stubbornness by Spencer Rattler to like, you know go through the progressions the way that it's designed to go through or the, you know, go through the route tree the way that the play is designed to go through. And it just, I don't know. I like Spencer Rattler obviously has all the arm talent, but I like one half of football kind of flipped me and made me think that maybe, maybe it's a, it's an attitude thing or a mental thing with him. And it's, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to maybe getting benched and him getting back in there fixes things for him personally, but it might take him going and playing for another team, which I don't know. I, I don't know if this is enough to humble him, but it was, I don't know. It's fascinating to me because, Caleb Williams is incredible, by the way. It does not look like a true freshman. He's a true freshman, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just not, I mean, not just from a physical aspect. He's not built like an 18 year old or a 19 year old kid. Well, to answer your question, let's just start with the first play or the first snap that Caleb Williams took in this game. What happened? It was a, the 60 yard touchdown run, yes. right? Well, that's a, of course, that's an added like, like element. But, y- well, it's a major element because you sure. don't have to respect that when Spencer Rattler's in the game. Like, literally, it. It's not something that you're even thinking about as a possibility when Spencer Rattler's in a game. So first and foremost, just that ability and and having to account for that ability from a defensive standpoint does exactly what Lincoln Riley's offense wants to do is, is start stretching you in different ways. And as soon as you, even if it's one body, Aaron, as soon as one body is stretched, you can start finding the holes in a defense and like, this is why I've been saying this since week number one, and I wasn't advocating for Caleb Williams to become the starting quarterback at Oklahoma, but I've said since week one, they need the added dimension of quarterback run game in this offense, and I think they needed a Caleb Williams run package. We talked about this after the two-lane game. Like, Caleb Williams needed a run package within this offense because of his skill set and, and what it does to, to keep a defense somewhat off balance. And we saw fourth and like the score's 28 to seven. That's a fourth down play. The game is over if if they don't pick up that first down, much less score a touchdown there, right? Like yeah. that's in Oklahoma territory. Texas had all the momentum. They're up by three touchdowns and they get the ball in Oklahoma territory. Like that felt like the game, that play, I thought if they don't get the first down here, I, I, that would have probably been the, the moment that I felt like the game was over. And instead yeah. it's a 66 yard touchdown run. So the the remainder of the day that Caleb Williams is in the ball game, if number 13's out there, you have to worry that that dude's going to take it to the house with his feet. So immediately, what the defense can do or take away drastically changes versus what Spencer Rattler sees. So look, yeah, you're right. Like that is a major element to add to the to the offense. But Spencer Rattler still threw five games. Just I mean, yes. you're going to tell me that the holes weren't there in the defenses? I mean, it's not like they were playing you know, Alabama's defense or, you know, Georgia's defense or whatever. Like, they were playing West Virginia and Tulane, and, like, those teams might be fine, but, like, he still wasn't finding those holes downfield. No, I agree with like, that. Like, he just 
I agree. I, I agree with what you're saying. I, I'm I'm just saying that I think the Caleb Williams run aspect it does help is the biggest part of it. But the second part is you're right. I mean, we've talked about this since week number one as well. Like Spencer Rattler, I think misses a lot of the open short stuff because he wants to force the ball down the field. Right. Right. Like he's so used to to being in an offense where everything's pretty easy, and it's he has the arm talent and he feels like he can make every throw and. Sometimes you just have to make the, I mean, we see this at Alabama a lot. It, Bryce Young, a lot of his success this year has become on short short passes, letting your playmakers make runs well, after the catch. And it, Spencer Rattler doesn't seem to want to make those throws. I talked about it, I don't know, maybe after the second or third game, I guess probably the third game, like the offense, like none of those skill players were like, making plays. And, you know, uh, probably a lot of it was just the fact that, like you said, Spencer wasn't like, putting them in situations where they could make plays necessarily or the offense. I don't know. I don't want to put it all in Spencer necessarily because I don't know the game plan per se, like, you know, in and out, obviously. But Saturday, like, those skill players were making plays. Like, Kennedy Brooks yeah. making plays. And, like, I think that's another, like, conversation to be had all together. The fact that how many times we've talked about Kennedy Brooks a lot this season, averaging, what, seven yards for his career or whatever. Like, why, yeah. you know, that dude is really good and needs to get 20 carries a game. But – Obviously, Marvin Mims making great plays, and it's it's hard to make plays when you're throwing to Marvin Mims. And he's double and triple covered every time he gets the ball. Yes, you know, twenty yards downfield. So it's it's no not a knock on Marvin necessarily, but it just I don't know. Caleb Williams entering the game it seemed to just boost everybody in that offense. Well, that's that's I think the X factor part also is like going forward, and we'll get into the the you know who should be the starting quarterback going forward part after we kind of talk about this game. But there, regardless of the skill set, which I think. Caleb Williams' skill set better fits the needs of this Oklahoma offense. The bottom line, I think, is, especially at that position, who does the team respond to? And for whatever the reason is, the team response to Caleb Williams in the game versus Spencer Rattler. In one half of football, we've seen a completely different Oklahoma offense with Caleb Williams quarterbacking than we've seen at any point over the course of five and a half games. Yeah, I So mean, the look. team just responds to him, and that maybe that's a leadership thing. Like, I, I've heard a lot of people question Spencer Rattler's leadership, and that's... That's something that I think is hard to to comment on if you're not around the team or not kind of like seeing things on the from the sideline perspective. I, I I don't like to comment on that kind of stuff if I'm not like somewhat observing it. But I've heard people comment about it and say that it it, it appears to be lacking. And those guys, you know, it doesn't seem to be lacking with Caleb Williams. Like he seems to be a guy that rallies the troops and and like that gets those guys to believe and follow him. Yeah, and look, a lot of people were dogging on Spencer for not celebrating with the team after the win, and look, I think that's a little unfair. I know people want to just jump on him because he is, uh, he's pretty easy to not like, but I, look, I don't blame him. Like, could you have, like, it's not like when I got fired from the radio station, I stuck around for the rest of the day and, like, you know, celebrated all the dudes <laughs> that were still going to be on the air. Right. Like, it's a tough, like, it's a tough day for him. Like, it's yes. under, like, it's completely understandable that he's upset and just wants some time alone, like, before the rest of the team gets in the locker room. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, he, you're talking about a guy that was a top three Heisman favorite, like pretty consensus. No, the Heisman favorite. Pick. The Heisman, the Heisman favorite, favorite. Entering the, the season. Yeah. There you go. And the a favorite to be the number one overall pick one in next year's draft. And in a matter of six weeks, like it has just snowballed. Like he is, his stock is so low right now. Like he, like there's a lot on the line for this kid. Like I understand him being upset and not wanting to like be out there with the rest of the team celebrating because it's not as like. From an individual perspective, like this is not a day of celebration for Spencer Rattler. He well, he's lost millions of dollars a, in two months. Yeah, right. Millions. He just got and just got punked by a true freshman. Like a true freshman went out there in one of the best atmospheres and against a team that was dominating that first half of football. 
and to, I mean, took over the entire program in that starting job. Like it's, yeah. I think you're crazy if you start Spencer Rattler uh, in their next game. Yeah. Maybe let him play. Like I, I, I'm okay with him getting some snaps and like playing a few series and seeing, you know, what he can do. But like it, Caleb Williams took that team over yeah. on Saturday. He, he saved their season. He was incredible. I mean, the throws that he made, the, the I'll tell you the, the other thing we, we've talked a lot about, like over the last few days about like Caleb Williams running ability and just the big play threat and his poise in the pocket. And just when everything around him is broken down and his ability to stay calm and extend a play and still look down the field and make throws was, I, I thought unbelievable, especially in that environment, right? Like that, like he, he fumbles a snap or whatever and still is just completely dialed in, completely calm. I mean, it's it's as if, like, he's done this a million times. Like, to, to be inside that stadium, which you've been in there as well, like, it's crazy, and there's so much emotion, and, like, literally every play, one side feels like they're devastated, and the other side is cheering like they won the Super Bowl on every play. So right. when you, like, I've- when you, like, drop a snap... Like, there's that that gasp feeling from one side and this, like, level of excitement from the other. And for him to just stay calm in all those moments and never really get rattled, I, I thought spoke volumes about uh, just the, the I don't know, like, gamer that he is. Uh, and, and, you know, again, I keep referencing the Marvin Mims throw. But, like, go back and watch that play and how he just, like, step you know, came forward in the pocket as everything around him was breaking down and, like, was still just calm and looking down the field and just delivers a rocket like 50 yards. That wasn't even the, uh, to me, that wasn't even the, the most impressive play he had all day. To me, no. the most impressive play was the, the drop snap. Yes. Yeah. Which he had like that how many, three of those or something? Like it was crazy. Yeah. The the drop snap into, def- I can't remember who he found in the corner of the end zone, but to like, was it Stogner maybe? Um, I really can't, I can't remember who caught that last touchdown pass. It was Mims, right? Was it Mims in the corner? I think it was Mims. Now, regardless, yeah. Regardless, you know what play I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About. It was Mims. Yeah. Okay. J- just to find, like, to drop that snap and like, look. I mean, there's veteran quarterbacks. When they drop that snap, it's kind of like, okay, we just gotta like, I gotta just salvage this. And just maybe either get, like, jump on the or football or throw the ball right, out of bounds that. or yeah. Yeah. But he picked it up and look. Kudos to the offensive line for still giving for giving him enough time to pick that ball up and like look around for a second and find an open receiver. But he just launched that ball in there. Yeah. Like, absolutely just missile into the corner of the end zone. Like, that was, to me, that was the most impressive play because Spencer Rattler obviously, like, has a great arm and, like, can make any throw. But, like, a throw like that shows me that Caleb Williams is just as good when it comes to, to, like, his ability to place the ball in tight windows from his arm strength. If not better, I don't know. I I can't do a side-by-side. But if he's just as good and he has that running ability that he has, like, I, I just don't, like, there's no question. Like the only yeah. thing that keeps Spencer Rattler in this conversation is if Lincoln Riley still has some loyalty to him because Spencer was his first guy yeah. that he brought in OU. Well, let's we'll, we'll get to the quarterback thing in a minute because uh, I still have a lot of comments on the game itself. Okay. Um, even though, yes, it's it's uh, we're we're burying the lead maybe a little bit. Uh, yeah, no, that play. I mean, both both touchdown passes are just ridiculous plays. The yeah. touchdown run. I mean, the just like I said, the, the the fact that the offense like literally just looked like a completely different offense, or you could say the same offense that we, we know it, that that's just been missing in action all year. The minute that Caleb Williams is in the game, the offense comes alive. Like that's, that's something that can't be ignored. And that's not a coincidence. It looked like Kyler Murray being out yeah, there. It, like it looked like, because with Jalen Hurts, you didn't have that like wow factor with like playmaking and like the, in any one play you, you could score a 60 yard touchdown. Yeah. 
you didn't have it last year with Spencer, obviously. You haven't had it this year. Like it, like it just changed. Like you said, it just changes the whole dynamic of the offense when you've got a quarterback that can do anything yeah. potentially. I mean, he's only played a half, so you know, I'm trying to pump the brakes a little bit, but it was a super impressive half of football. It's crazy to me also that, like, literally, that is the only scenario, Aaron, that could possibly happen where the game that Kennedy Brooks had gets completely overshadowed. Right? Kennedy Brooks goes for 217 yards in the biggest rivalry game in the country, scores a game-winning touchdown on fourth down, like one of the most okay. unbelievable plays in Red River history, and it's completely overshadowed. Okay, I got to ask you, because I was at, talking to some people about it, because I, I made a comment to my buddies that it was a ballsy play, the direct snap, to run that in that situation. Do you think it was a ballsy play? I thought no. it looked... You don't, you don't think it was a ballsy play, Cole? No. Nope. I don't know, man. I think... I mean... I don't know. I'll tell you the biggest reason why, because before that play, I, I think I actually tweeted, like, have to have a clean snap here. How many, how many, like, bobbled snaps? So you're going to snap to the running back? Kennedy Brooks has been around forever. We've seen him do that before. Yeah, I know. Dude, Caleb like, Williams dropped, like, three snaps in that game. He had the, the bobbled fair. snap against Kansas State. Like, it's not something, he, he that will be fine as he gets more reps. But, yeah, I don't think it was that ballsy considering your quarterback had bobbled snaps multiple times to just, like, let's not even worry. Let's not risk okay. the football hitting the turf so, and give it directly to me, our running back to pick up this yard. Maybe let's rephrase that. Okay. Was it a ballsy decision by Kennedy Brooks to go for the end zone? <laughs> no way. Because he got in with, what, like, one, two seconds left on the clock? Yeah. One second? Well, if he gets, ta- I mean, they had timeouts, but like you're, you're, you're panicking, rushing. If he gets tackled with one second left or two seconds left, like, nah, I, there like, was daylight. There was daylight. No, they're obviously he made it in pretty easy, but yeah. still, like, I, I think I like know. if you don't see the daylight when he kind of made that break toward the end zone, like if you don't see the daylight there, then maybe. But I mean, when he like when he turned on the gear to get into the end zone, like the path was there at that point. And look, like I've made this comparison before. Like he reminds me a lot of Le'Veon Bell. Like he's a his yes. biggest strength is his field vision to find the holes. Like that's why he has yes. seven and a half yards of carry for his career. Yeah, it's because he finds a hole every time. We talked so. about this at the beginning of the season. He's not. He's not like blazing fast. He's not like incredibly powerful. But like his his elite gifts are vision and patience, and I think just instincts. Right. Like the guy is is such a great instinctual runner. Even even beyond the even after he sees like the initial like cutback, he just instinctually I think runs the football really well into spaces where he can continue to get positive yardage. I mean it's it's not one of those things that's easily quantifiable in terms of like speed or you know power or anything like that. But Hmm. yeah, he's incredible. Look, uh, hopefully if you're an OU fan, you know Marcus Major coming back will allow Kennedy Brooks to like have more days like he did on Saturday where. Lincoln's not necessarily concerned about workload with his with his top guy because yeah. he's got two guys behind him that he could like legitimately play. And, you know, hopefully Marcus Major, you would hope is like, yeah. in, you know, close to game shape to where you don't have to wait too long before, you know, he could become, I don't want to say a factor, but like an option. Well, the reports uh, the are offense. that he's been practicing. So I would assume that, okay. that he's at least close, if not like there. But there. yeah, I got this question a lot last week. Will like is Mar- Marcus Major going to be a factor? And I'm like, I, I mean, I don't know that he is going to be a factor, but his presence is one thousand percent a factor. It allows there's this idea, yeah, factor. because like to have that extra depth allows you to, to give the football to your top two guys more. Because yep. there's this but now you have three legitimate runners. Yeah, now you have yeah. There, there's this uh, I don't know why, but the OU fan base 
And look, the West Virginia game is is an isolated situation where they just got their butts completely kicked on the line of scrimmage. Has the offensive line been great? The answer is absolutely not. But have they been god-awful every week? The answer is no. They were they got completely beat against West Virginia, but Kennedy Brooks averaged 6.2 a carry against Tulane, 8 yards a carry against Western Carolina, 5.4 a carry against Nebraska, 6.1 a carry against Kansas State, and then 8.7 a carry against Texas. I've been saying every week... Kennedy Brooks is getting it done. The run game is not bad. That they just haven't been a, they haven't been in a situation from a depth standpoint where they could say, "Hey, we're going to give Kennedy Brooks 20 carries every week." Because here's the thing: you have a long football season to get through. You can't wear your running back out in the first month of the season. So, I've I've had to call it a pitch count for baseball fans out there. I feel like they've had Kennedy Brooks and Eric Gray on a pitch count as far as how many times they've wanted those guys to carry the football. But Kennedy Brooks, other than the West Virginia game where he averaged 3.4 a carry, has been over five yards every week. In fact, he's been over six yards every week, except for the Nebraska game, which was 5.4. Which, I mean, that's probably... Well, West Virginia played really well, but I mean, Nebraska's got a good defense. Like Their front yeah. seven played really well that yeah. game. So, yeah, and he had 14 I mean, carries, 5.4 yards a carry. Kennedy Brooks, when he's had the ball, has been good every single week this season. They just haven't he, been in a situation to give him the ball enough. Kennedy Brooks, every time he's had the ball, has been good every week of his career at OU. Yes, like, I don't know, like, yeah. going back to his first year, like, he's never really had, like, a, like, I would say two games in a row where he didn't show up. Yeah. He's Dude, good. I said two years ago when Kennedy Brooks, Sermon, and Ramondre Stevenson were all sharing the backfield. Like, and, and those are both NFL guys right now. I, I thought even then, Kennedy Brooks is the best of this group. Well, I mean, we saw Sermon lose his carries that year. Obviously, yeah. he transferred out. Yeah. Like, he, and Ramondre, I think Ramondre kind of came out of nowhere that year. Obviously, like, he was not even on my radar as far as, like, running backs that were going to have an impact at OU that year. Right, but he, he ended up being Being amazing. really good. Yeah. Yeah. So, tough for Sermon. But yeah, Kennedy Brooks is really good. And I think Eric Gray's a good, you know... Complimentary. Complimentary, like yin and yang type situation. Yes. Because he hit, Eric Gray, you, you see that explosiveness out of him. Um, obviously, he's not going to get as many carries as Kennedy Brooks if Kennedy Brooks is having six or seven yards of carry. But, yeah. like, again, this like goes back to the quarterback thing. Like, we've talked for five weeks about this offense struggling. And then one half of football, they make a quarterback change, and like everybody looked better. Marvin Mims looks yeah. like a like all conference, all American caliber receiver. Those were Marvin Mims' he, first two touchdowns of the season, Aaron. Yeah, it's he has two touchdowns. He got a lot of touchdowns for the whole season. He got a lot last year, but yeah, from Spencer. But it just everybody looks different. Like the whole outlook of this offense, they look like a top fifteen, top twenty offense. Yeah, with Caleb Williams in there, if like this is like the peak, even if this is the peak from what we saw. Uh, in that second half against Texas, if that's the best they can get to, they're a top 20 offense. Top 15, top 10 probably. Like, Yeah. And the defense, look, I mean, I don't know. The defense, how do you feel about the defense? Because I thought that, I thought a lot of it was, I thought they did a good job of getting to Casey Thompson because Casey Thompson, it was either he was making some incredible play or he was getting obliterated. Yeah. Well, look, I, I'll say a couple things about the defense. I think, A, you have to give credit for the adjustment they made in the second half. They gave up 38 points in the first half, and they only gave up 10 in the second half. Part of that, I think, was um, the lack of B. John Robinson touches from Texas. But regardless, uh, the the Oklahoma defense adjusted. Secondly, the corners are struggling right now, bottom line. The corners are struggling. There's no no excuse to give up 260 yards to a freshman. Yeah. I mean, I think the Woody Washington loss has been enormous and probably not talked about enough. I mean, he was their best cover guy. And him not being out there, you know, makes every single corner position weaker. So the corner struggled, but 
like, you also have to say, like, if you're facing Texas, what are you going to take away? Are you going to take away Bijan Robinson, or you want to take away the receivers and let Bijan Robinson just go for 250? Like, the, well, I mean, I Bijan still... had some big runs, but I would say, you know, for, for what they did over the course of the entire game, like, Bijan Robinson had that long 50-yarder. But outside of that, I thought they did a decent job of containing what I think is the best player in college football that I've seen this year. Bijan Robinson after... is the best player I've seen play college football this year. And, you know, he had the big highlight run. But other than that, like, I felt like they did a decent job of containing the guy as best you can. Like, you're not going to shut that guy out. So, like, uh, you know, they did a decent job. And, look, I think you also have to just say, like, Casey Thompson threw some really good passes. Like, he hit guys when they were open. And, like, that's another reason why I think this was such a great game. Because for as great as, as we're talking about all these Oklahoma players and the plays they made, like, Casey Thompson... Goes for 388 yards, five touchdown passes, no interceptions, no turnovers. Bijan Robinson had the highlight run. He goes for 137. Xavier Worthy, nine catches, 261 yards, a couple touchdowns. Like all the stars on both sides showed up in a big way. So, you know, you can hammer the defense, but you also have to give Texas a lot of credit for the plays that they made. Uh, and, and here's the other part that I, I want to preach on just a little bit. 38 points, I get it. Like, it's not a good first half for the defense. 38 points is is unacceptable, right? Let's also remember that 21 of those points came off the interception, the fumble, and the special teams play, right? Like, Aaron, speak to this. You've been on the sideline shooting this game, so you've witnessed the entire game from the sideline. The momentum shift inside that stadium after a turnover is monumental, like, look, it's not just as easy as like our offense turned the ball over. Now defense, you got to go get a stop. Like that is a tough momentum swing inside that stadium for a defense yeah. to just go out there and be like, we're shutting you down. Right. Like that's a, again, I'm not giving the defense a pass. I'm just saying 21 of the 38 points scored came immediately after the, the two turnovers in the special teams play that I think you, you have, you at least have to give the defense a little bit of slack on those three drives to say like, dude, that's a hard thing. Like, well, yeah. I mean, look, the second touchdown, Texas had the ball in the two. Yes. You're not going to do anything. They've got B. John Robinson. They've got Casey Thompson, who's super athletic. Like, the chances of you stopping them in that situation are pretty slim to none. So, yeah, again, like, that's that's a given. The interception, you're talking about the Spencer, the Spencer Rattler interception is the only one they threw, right, where he just, yes. there was nobody even within the, not on the screen. There was nobody on the screen <laughs> yeah. in a in a white jersey. Um, Yeah, and those are tough situations. I think this, I think considering that Texas had 500 yards of offense, Scored, they ended up with what, 48 points? Like, yeah. I think that's about as good a grade you can give a defense that gave up 500 yards and 48 points. Yeah. Like, I don't, I didn't come out of that game thinking that the defense is now a vulnerable, is not, is not vulnerable and now a weakness. I think Especially the, the front seven. Yeah. I think the, the front corners are still fine. an issue. I think tackling on some level is still an issue, yeah, but the 70 yard screen pass for a touchdown is, that, that's a play of concern. Oof, yes. Yeah. I mean, again, without Woody Washington, let, the, the, the reality is without Woody Washington and especially without Delaren Turner Yell, the secondary is an issue. It's it's not where it should be. And, you know, part of that is because you're without two really key contributors back there. But that said, like, I thought overall they did a decent job. And again, like, you, you also have to, in today's college football, like, you have to give the other team some credit for making plays as well. Yeah, Like, absolutely. bottom line, I mean, like, you just have to yeah. get, like, Texas has, like I said, what I think is the best player in college football. And if you had told me going in, like, he's going to have 20 carries for 137, like okay, I mean that's better it's than two thirty-seven. <laughs> yeah, it's a good day, but it's, like you'd it like be to a lot keep worse. him under a hundred, sure. But I mean, that's I look. 
I think the surprise and Casey Casey Thompson had played well since he took over. I can't even remember the other kid's name now. The kid Hudson that started card. Card, yeah. yeah. Look, expectations for Casey Thompson for me were pretty low, especially like after what Sarkeesian had said about camp and how the quarterbacks were just not there, not figuring it out. Mike, for the entire quarterback room in, in Austin, for me, like it was pretty low expectations, but. Casey's been good since he took over that starting job. And like, obviously like his athleticism adds a huge element, much like Caleb Williams does to that offense. But just, I mean, him standing in the pocket and taking those hits, but like still throwing it downfield, like he, it was impressive. And I, I don't know if he was amped up from the stage and all that stuff, which if he was great, but you know, if that's just his, uh, the caliber of play that he can bring to Austin, like he makes them a really good team and a contender in the big 12. They may not be there this year. I know they only have one conference loss, but they might be a little bit behind. Their defense is still a little bit of a concern, obviously. But I mean, he he changes the whole the whole situation there in Austin. I mean, they haven't had a quarterback that could do that in ten years. I know that yeah. Sam Ellinger, but like Sam Ellinger wasn't the dude that was just going to completely change the dynamic of an offense. If anything, he was too much of the offense. He was, yeah, he was more of a plotter, right? Like he's he wasn't yeah. dynamic like Casey Thompson is. Right. He he was like a fullback playing quarterback. Yes. Yeah. He's not making making like guys miss in open space. Right. Yeah. Or it wasn't too odd. Like he's not, I mean, he would extend plays, I guess, but not to the ability where he's extending plays and still like able to look downfield. I don't know. Casey, it was an impressive performance from Casey Thompson without a doubt. I felt like even going back to the bowl game last year, like he has that it factor about him. Like we see with Caleb Williams, right? Like some guys, I mean, Casey may not be the greatest runner of all time, but he's really good. He might not be the greatest passer, but he's really good. But he just has that it factor where, like, he's going to find a way. He's going to make big plays. Yeah. I, I like him. I like him a lot. I think he's he's been tremendous. I, I told you, like, yeah. I, don't, I, I didn't understand the Hudson card thing at the beginning of the year. Like, how on earth does that happen? And, again, there, there are a lot of, like, off-field rumors about why they went that way. But uh, he, he just has an it factor to the way that he plays the game. And I think that's been on display almost every week that he's played so far. So Do you think – do you think uh... – I'm kind of going to play devil's advocate to my own statement that I made the second ago. That Do you think that we're going to get a rematch of this game in the Big 12 championship game? I think there's a chance. I mean, right now, it's... I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say a three-horse no. race right now. I think that... Uh, I think this is a bad spot for Texas on Saturday against Oklahoma State. Like, I think yeah. to I mean, lose to a game that, game that way is probably about as devastating a way to lose a game as there possibly is. I think it's Their a really... Twitter account died. Yeah. Texas's football Twitter yeah. account is dead. Yeah. I, <laughs> Oh, I, yeah, I just think that uh, I think it's going to be really hard for them to rebound after a loss like that immediately against an Oklahoma State defense that has been, I think, maybe the best in the, in the conference to this point. Um, now, the Oklahoma State offense might keep you in the game. <laughs> so, well, <laughs> yeah. you know, if Spencer Sanders decides to throw two or three to the other team, then I don't, I don't know. I, I like this spot for Oklahoma State, though, Saturday morning in Austin. And look, Gundy's had a ton of success in Austin as well, so... This will be a yeah, big I mean, one, but yeah, I, I I wouldn't say that if you tell me like there's going to be a rematch, I wouldn't say you're crazy. Realistically, like how how many teams do you think are legitimately in the race to get to that Big Twelve championship game? I Baylor's five and one, and they're they're three and one in conference. But I, I from what I've seen from Baylor, like I don't see a way that they make it through with enough wins to get to that the title game, the conference championship game. So like Iowa State, I think Iowa State's talented enough, but they've underperformed this year. Like, is it a three team race? Or is it a two-team race? Are we really just like waiting for Bedlam Part 2 in December? I mean, here's the thing. I I think Oklahoma State would be the team that I would expect. But, like, I can't... Like, Oklahoma State has enough offensive struggles that I can't just say, like, they're definitely 
that much better than everybody else. Like if I, if you made me bet today, I would say Oklahoma state's the next best team, but yeah. like, it's not crazy to think that Texas could beat them or it's not crazy to think that Iowa state could beat them or look Baylor lost to Oklahoma state, but I, th- I would say Baylor still has, I mean, Baylor beat Iowa state. Yeah. I think Baylor plays the kind of football that, that to see, to see Baylor beat a Texas wouldn't be shocking. So I don't know. I think it's Oklahoma one, Oklahoma state two, and then I think in Baylor, some order, it's like Texas, Iowa State, Baylor. Baylor's next four games are BYU, Texas, and Oklahoma, and they've got TCU sprinkled in between Texas and Oklahoma. I mean, if they can that's get tough, after that man. stretch off, then they'll, yeah, they'll be proven. But that's, yeah, I mean, that, that's a situation where they could lose four in a row. Yeah, tough, tough stretch. Um, I told you earlier, eight straight Red River games inside the Cotton Bowl that have been one possession finishes. How about this? Let me pull this up real quick. Think about... Let's go back to the 2018 game because I was thinking about the crazy like fourth quarter finishes in this series the last like five years. So 2018, the Kyler Murray game, OU is down 45-24, down 21 points at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Down that 21. Was, his, and, t- his run, that was the Kyler Murray like yeah. insane run that completely shifted the yeah. whole momentum. Of that game. And you talk, look, there, you can believe or not believe in momentum in sports. In that game, there is absolutely a thing of moment, like momentum is you talk about the turnovers of the defense, like momentum exists in that game. Yeah. A hundred percent massive. And it's bigger in that game because you have two sides. Right. I mean, you're, you're, you make one run, you go from Austin to Norman in 20 yards. Yes, absolutely. So they're down 21 entering the fourth quarter, eight minutes left, 19 yard touchdown pass to Lee Morris, five minutes left, 67 yard touchdown run from Kyler Murray. Two minutes left, Trey Sermon touchdown run to tie the game at 45-45, and then Dicker, the kicker, makes the 40-yard field goal as time expires to win the game. So that was 2018 and the finish in the fourth quarter there. 21-point comeback, and then Dicker, the kicker, gets it done. 2020, Oklahoma has a 31-17, 14-point lead going into the fourth quarter. With three minutes left, Ellinger touchdown pass to Josh Moore. With 14 seconds left, Keontae Ingram two-yard Touchdown pass from Ellinger to tie the game 31-31. And then we get four overtimes before Oklahoma closes out the Longhorns. And then this one, obviously, entering the fourth quarter, 41-24 or 41-30. And you have, in the fourth quarter, Gabe Burkich field goal with 12 minutes left. Marvin Mims touchdown pass from Caleb Williams with seven minutes left. Kennedy Brooks 18-yard touchdown run with seven minutes left. Xavier Worthy touchdown pass from Casey Thompson with a minute 23 left, and then the Kennedy Brooks touchdown run with three seconds left. Un- like, if, if the, three if, of five years, three of the craziest finishes to games in this entire series. If the game this past Saturday went to overtime, how many times out of 10 do you think, oh, you end up winning that game? Ooh. Man, I don't know. I think... 50? <laughs> five, five out of 10? I... You think it's a 50-50 split? I think, I think where that game was at in that in that at that moment at that time, the way the teams were playing going into that overtime, I think OU probably wins eight out of ten. Well, I think if you're looking say, at a, last year is an example of this. Texas scored two touchdowns in the final three minutes of the fourth quarter to tie the game, and then Oklahoma wins it in overtime. Like Texas had all the momentum. Yeah, but the front seven, especially that second half and that fourth quarter, like that front seven was getting into that the backfield. They were getting pressure on on. Uh, on Casey Thompson, and I, I just I think honestly, if they go to overtime, I think the defense is is the difference. I think the OU's defense has just had a lot more momentum, and that front seven was putting a lot more pressure on the quarterback. 
if you get into overtime, I think that that's the difference in that game. That there's just going to be one, there's going to be one third down or one fourth down where, you know, Isaiah Thomas or Nick Benito or somebody just gets enough pressure on Casey Thompson where he can't make a play. And, and the Texas defense wasn't doing that. And as soon as Caleb Williams into the game, they just, there wasn't that sense of pressure from that Texas defense on the quarterback. Yeah. But I mean, who knows? I mean, over college football overtimes is unpredictable, obviously. But yeah, great game. Uh, it was fun, man. Like, I, it kind of sucks because yeah, like you know that TCU is not going to be a game like that. You know yeah. that Oklahoma State Texas isn't going to be as good as that. Like, it's kind of just you're just searching for that high for the next two months. Oh man! By the way, as I I had the I had the multi screens going on Saturday. So my other screen was on Ole Miss, Arkansas, simultaneously. Love the two-point two attempt. I don't know how many people here actually watched that game at all. I, I assume very, very few. With reason. Yeah. But yeah. to watch both of those games at the same time, I thought was going to be the end of me. <laughs> I was exhausted. Like, literally exhausted from, like, watching and keeping up with both of those games at the same time. Because that game ended up 52-51. There were, like, multiple touchdowns scored in the final two minutes of the game. And then Arkansas goes for the two-point conversion to win it. So Not even close. Yeah. <laughs> I love the attempts, but, like, not even close. So, yeah, execution. simultaneously, Aaron, for three for a three-hour stretch, I watched a 55-48 OU win and a 52-51 Ole Miss over Arkansas win. And I think the football gods felt sorry for me because I was so worn out keeping up with both of those games that they said, okay, here is... Uh, Iowa Penn State. We're going to we're going to calm you down a little bit and ease boring. you into the afternoon. Boring as hell. If you want like I there's a part of me that loves Big Ten football because like it's the only like semblance of like old school football that's left yes. at that high, high yes. level. And the crowd in, in uh, Iowa City was awesome like awesome. doing the alternating pattern. It was a lot of fun like a top 5 matchup. But damn that game was boring especially yeah. coming off the uh, OU Texas game. Yeah. Like it was it was hard to get into, but I mean well, I, I appreciate it because I, I was like, good. man, I, I, I just I was ready for a slow, a little bit of a slower pace you after a, watching two hundred points scored in in the previous yeah. three hours. So, look, I mean, <sighs> that was the that was a cigarette game after you know yes. a, a, a long, excruciating, energy draining uh, session of uh, football, chain smoking uh, cigarette game. Just needed a cigarette yeah. after to yeah calm down. All right, let's let's hit the quarterback situation going forward now. I thought it was really interesting that Lincoln Riley immediately in the post-game uh, interview made it a point to talk about the Spencer Rattler two-point play. Well, I mean, it was a big play. It was but, a big yeah, play, but I'm just saying, to, like, like, bring it up to 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 specifically mention that play in what is like a one-minute interview on the field immediately after the game. I thought was was uh, was. Very, Man, look, I don't know what the word is. Um, strategic, I guess, from Lincoln yeah, Riley. Look, I'm telling you, like, like I, I really get the sense, and I, this is just my outside opinion. I'm not, I don't have the access that, like, obviously, I used to have. Um, it, like, I, I think Lincoln really feels like responsible for Spencer's, like, and like, like he's kind of like his, like, football son. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I, I agree. Mean, he's been, re he recruited. Spencer since he was like 15. Yeah. Like we're talking about like five or six years that they, he's had this relationship with this kid. I think that like, I think it was hard on him. Like I really do. I think it was hard for Lincoln to bench Spencer and bring in Caleb because I think that he, even if it's just for his own, like it, like legacy or whatever, like Spencer's the first quarterback that Lincoln has actually recruited to play. Like this is the first non-transfer quarterback. Like 
you know, is Lincoln want to be the transfer quarterback guy? I mean, if he wins, it doesn't matter. But I don't know. Maybe he wants to prove that he can win with a recruit that he brings in. I don't know. It was weird, though. Um, and it, I think it's a little crazy because that wasn't a play that I watched, and I was like, oh, there's no way Caleb Williams couldn't make that play. Yeah, I think it's probably more just like the reps on the, the two point conversion. Like, on, yeah, yeah. Like, but like, as far as the executing the play, it was not like it wasn't a throw that Caleb couldn't make. Right. No, I agree with that. Yeah. It was just this that Spencer ran that practice that play more. So yeah. Yeah, I, I yeah I didn't think it was like I didn't think it was crazy to put Rattler in that position again because of like the fact that you've probably I mean you've been working on like a two point play I would assume all year right. and I mean you would assume that Rattler's done that play a million times versus Caleb Williams having ever done any reps on that play. So here's, here's my question for you. Cause I think, and and it's two different questions. And for me, it's two different answers. Who should be the quarterback going forward? And what do you think will happen? Cause okay. So I I don't know about the post game that he is not, he's not making any decisions on how that's going to, to go at this point. I don't know about going. Look, I'm not going to answer going forward. I'll answer for TCU. Caleb Williams should absolutely be the quarter, starting okay. quarterback against TCU. Okay. Snap one, it should be Caleb Williams out there. What should happen? I think, I think that in TCU, you if you're Lincoln Riley, you're hoping that you can get your team can play well enough that you could get both of them snaps. I I don't think that Spencer Rattler has been so bad this year that he shouldn't. He should just be completely shut out of the offense. He has not been good. He's not lived up to expectations by any means. But I, he hasn't been terrible altogether. He's right. had stretches where he was bad. He's had made some really bad plays. But I don't think it's enough that I would look at him and say, that you're, you're done. You're not getting in a game anymore. Yeah. And then you go from there. And if Caleb Williams struggles against TCU, you go back to Spencer and you kind of just let Caleb, you know, figure it out a little bit, catch his breath a little bit. You know, who knows? If, does he does he play as well when he's not playing in that Red River game, the Cotton Bowl, and he doesn't have the, the adrenaline and all the energy? Like, can he do that in Amon G. Carter? Or can he do it in Norman against Kansas? I'm sure he can do it against Kansas. They suck. But, like, can he do it against lesser teams with not on that big stage? I don't know. Like, there's just a lot about Caleb Williams we don't know because yeah. he just he's only played what all together. Would you say he's probably played 70 snaps, 60 snaps? I don't even know. I don't even know. He played, so, what, 50, 50 total, I think, against Texas? So, yeah, yeah I mean, no, that's probably 10, true. Probably another 10. Yeah, yeah that's probably 15, true. 15. So, I, I think you have to start him. I think the way that yeah. he played in that second half, I think it would send a terrible message to the rest of your team to not start Caleb Williams against TCU. I, because, like you said, they responded to him. Yeah. Like, you have to go with the guy that got the response, the positive response from the rest of the team on that, or at least the rest of the offense. Because you throw Spencer back out there, out there, like I don't know, like like you said, he may not be, it may be, he may not be as good of a leader, and like it may negatively affect your locker room moving forward if you if you make that decision. Well, I think to see from the the leadership thing again, I don't know this. I'm not, I, I it's, True. it's you know we talk about this. I said this earlier. Like it's hard to comment on that when you're not even there to observe how people respond to those guys on the sidelines. But look, let's look at it from an X and O, but from yes, an X is an O perspective. But from an on-field standpoint, much, those guys yeah. respond to Caleb Williams and Spencer Rattler doesn't get the same on-field response that Caleb Williams does. So I think that speaks for itself. I think the delicate line that Lincoln Riley is going to have to walk here is this. You, if, if you lose Spencer Rattler altogether, you're one hit away from being in a really bad position, right? 
You, like, yeah, you got to keep both of them. Go you back. Gotta to, keep remember Spencer when Tua got hurt and they had to go back to Jalen Hurts, Alabama had to go back to Jalen Hurts in the SEC championship game to to get them to the playoff. Yeah, against like, Georgia. Yeah, you're one hit away from being in a position where it's a guy that's not even played yet. So yeah, you, Caleb Williams, he, I mean, he's going to take some hits. He's yes, he he's, won, like, he's a running he's yes, he's a situation. running quarterback, so he's going to take some hits. So you can't lose Rattler. At the same time, this is where the delicate balance comes in. I think Caleb Williams should be the guy. And if Caleb Williams is the guy, let's not forget he is a freshman that needs as many reps as possible. So you have to you have to get Caleb Williams as many reps as you possibly can while also not losing Spencer Rattler in the process. I think this is a yeah. this might be as tough a position as Lincoln Riley's been in to this point in terms of the good of the football team. Because again, how many times did we see Caleb Williams just simply drop snaps, right? Like that's something that will be corrected with reps. But if he's getting all the reps, do you lose Spencer? And if you give Spencer too much, are you slowing down the progression of Caleb Williams? So this is a very delicate thing that Lincoln Riley is going to have to navigate. I think it should absolutely be Caleb Williams. I think he is the team, I think, made the decision, right? The way the team played makes the decision as to who should start a really easy one. Yeah, but, and look, you can't just – and you. I, you can't just give Spencer Rattler snaps when you're it's the fourth quarter and you're up by 40. You can't give him garbage time right. snaps because that's not going to like you have to let him get some snaps during the meaningful time of the game. Yeah, I think he like, will get I, situational snaps like the two point conversion play. Yeah, I think I he's going to get situational snaps yeah. going forward. But I think Caleb Williams will get the bulk of the work. I think Caleb Williams will be the starter, but he's a freshman and he's going to make some freshman mistakes like he played pretty flawless football on Saturday. But there will be games if he's the starter the rest of the way. There will be games that he makes mistakes. He, and, well, I mean, he played pretty flawless, but like there was a lot of plays that could have easily went the other way. Yeah, and like it, the it, the game doesn't turn out that that Marvin Mims catch on the sideline with the great pylon cam angle, like that oh. play could have easily been out of bounds. He could have easily dropped it, like, and the whole the whole conversation changes because they probably don't end up winning that game. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think Lincoln is in regard like it's a tough position. I think to navigate the balance of those two things. Like, I think it's a really tough position. Yeah. I mean, he's never, his first time, in, it's, as good the quarterbacks have been, like, he's never really had any, like, there's never been a conversation about which quarterback to start. Yeah. It's always been an easy conversation of which quarterback's the starter. He may have, played, he may have like, downplayed it or made it seem like it's more of a, a conversation in the preseason. But, like, when you get to the regular season, like, even with Jalen Hurts, there was no doubt that Jalen Hurts was the best quarterback in that locker room. Right. And I think the, also, the other season. thing that's interesting here is, like, I, I compared this yesterday on the air to, like, when Trevor Lawrence took over for Kelly Bryant, right? Clemson was undefeated. They were one of the best teams in college football. But there was a big upgrade in terms of talent level, right, from Kelly Bryant to Trevor Lawrence. Same thing for the Alabama switch. Like, when they went from Jalen Hurts to Tua, they went to a guy that was that clearly had a completely different skill set and was on a much higher level. The crazy thing about that was they did it in a national championship. Well, yeah, because Jalen they had to pass, got... though. Like that, like, well, right, I think I know, people think that like... was a, a tough decision, but it was really an easy decision because the other guy was a way better passer, and you were losing. For sure. Like, they had to throw the football. The other guy's the a way better passer. The, the irony of that is it's completely flip-flop in the NFL. One can't do anything, right? And the oh, other one's, right. like, doing fine. Yeah. Now, the, the, see, the, where this is interesting is this is replacing the guy that going into the year was the odds-on favorite to win the Heisman and the odds-on favorite to be the number one overall pick. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, I feel for Spencer, like, Phil, I mean, I understand that, like, he's, he can be a tough guy to like, and, like, that QB1 clip of him yelling at his teammates during practice yes. has kind of resurfaced. Yes. 
which I think is I, like part of me finds it hilarious. But like at the same time, like still as douchey as this kid might be or as unlikable as he may be to some people like like he has still lost a lot this season. Like oh, he's on a six and team on a, on a top five team and he has lost a lot. He's like he, he, the reality is as of this moment, he's lost millions of dollars. Right. He can recover it at some point. Like, yes. who knows? Maybe he transfers to another school next year and just lights the world on fire and regains his like his draft stock and all that stuff. But like right now, yeah, he's lost millions of dollars off the table. He's gone from a number one overall pick to I wouldn't even take him in the first round. Right. And depending on how he handles this whole situation the rest of the year. And his team's undefeated. Yeah. And depending on how he handles this the, the rest of the year, I mean, that will be one of those like NFL things, yeah. draft process, like this guy's untouchable because he was such a bad teammate when they made the switch, right? Like that's one of those things that always becomes a massive factor in the draft process is things like and this and how you handle I will them. look. I will say though, he's, I thought, I think he's handled the season really well. Like the Caleb Williams chance, like the West Virginia game, like I thought publicly he handled that really well. Like who knows what's going on in the locker room after that right. and all that, but like, Publicly, like, I thought he handled it pretty well. Like, as best as, I mean, still, he's a 20-year-old kid, 21-year-old kid. Like, yeah. his, his home fans are booing him off the field, and they're undefeated. Yeah. Good Lord. So crazy, man. Yeah. I mean, and look, maybe those OU, maybe though those fans booing him for Caleb Williams are, ended up, are right at the end of the day that Caleb Williams is the better quarterback and the better option. But still, it, I mean, he's, Spencer's in a tough situation. And yeah. like you said, like, Lincoln Riley has a very thin line to walk between keeping both those guys happy. Agreed. Agreed. And look, and the reality is Spencer's gone at the end of this year either way. Whether he transfers or goes to the draft, like he's gone. So like I think that you you want to keep them both happy for this season because like you said, like you're one hit away from losing Caleb Williams potentially or any player. But Caleb Williams in Norman is the future for the next three years. Yes. Yeah. I think Caleb Williams is the guy and I think you are he's the guy that makes you look like the team that we all thought you could be, right? Mm -hmm. So you have six weeks basically to get him as many reps as you possibly can to get him up to speed in terms of the entire offense and just being comfortable with everything that you're going to ask him to do in all these different scenarios. So, yeah, it's it's a I mean, very tight rope to walk. Yeah. Just from a team perspective in the public eye, like you, OU preseason was being picked by a lot of people to yeah. win the national title or to play in the national title. And then you get to a point before the Texas game where you're undefeated and you can't even get in the top five. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, I am very short on time, uh, so we'll have to hit some of the other stuff in football um, another time. But okay. I do want to. I, I want. Why are we still doing this whole like freshman can't talk to the media thing? And I, I will, I will cut Lincoln Riley some slack from the standpoint of he. I, I'm sure that going into this game, he didn't anticipate that Caleb Williams was going to become the hero. For sure. So they they probably didn't have the opportunity to like sit down and talk to him about like how to handle things. So I'm not like saying Lincoln Riley stinks for not allowing Caleb Williams. But I think the whole idea in general of like, hey, we need to like not let these guys talk to the media to me is extremely lame. And especially with the whole NIL stuff. And like, social media, like they're talking to everybody social, anyway. Yeah, like I, it just, I, I feel like this is such an archaic thing. And also this isn't me like advocating for this so that like Caleb Williams can come on my radio show or podcast because that's never going to happen. I'm not at the game like trying to write a story where I need a Caleb Williams quote. So this isn't me like benefiting from this in any way. I'm just saying it just seems like such an archaic rule at this point. Like wh why? Why are we still doing this? Yeah. Look, I mean, if Caleb Williams told Lincoln he doesn't want to talk to the media, he's not comfortable with it, and Lincoln's just saying no because Caleb doesn't want – like isn't comfortable doing it, then fine. Right. Like, I, was, I get it. Like, he wanted to though, by the way. He did? Oh, yeah. okay. 
He did. Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, his pinned maybe... tweet, Aaron, the pinned tweet on Caleb Williams' Twitter is, I'm not a businessman. I'm a business man. Well, there you go. That's yeah. He's calling himself great a business. Like, yes. Talking to Holly Rowe after the game is a great way to yes. grow your business. Yes. But, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe Caleb Williams is just like this wild man. That could, like, Lincoln's like, I, I don't know what he's going to Like, I don't know, trust him to, like, not say something wild. Especially, like, yeah. I don't know. It is, it is like, I get it. It's kind of lame. Um, Yeah. I mean, again, like, with social media and, like, these guys are making money. Like, a freshman's different than a freshman. Like, you, hell, it's not like it's the 70s where freshmen couldn't even be, like, they couldn't even be on a varsity roster at, at OU right. or whatever, like, a college program. Like, he just came in as a true freshman in the biggest stage of the regular season for Oklahoma football. And, and he was a was highly he? recruited guy. Like, the, the recruiting business on its own now is one of those things that, like, how many interviews do you do just in the recruiting process these days for these, like, five-star kids? It's not like he's oh. never been in front of a microphone before. Right. right. I mean, if he was like, I don't know if he was in any of the like, all-star games, but like if he was like an Under Armour All-American or like the uh, the U.S. Army, whatever, I can't remember what it was called. But like they do live interviews on TV with those kids and they're out of high yeah. school. I get you the mean, whole like, again, I know coaches are control freaks and all that, and they want to probably like go over you, the message okay. with a, a young guy before he has these these media availabilities. So I, I I'm not like saying... Again, I'm not like just saying Lincoln Riley stinks for this. I'm just saying the idea in general across college football anymore that like we have to, you know, protect these kids from do, hang media. On. Like, it's do you think, ridiculous. hey, let me ask you this, Cole. Do you think that not letting Caleb Williams talk to the media was a strategic move to kind of save some face with Spencer? I think that that's probably a little bit too complex for that moment. But I think like given the whole quarterback situation, like I think he probably just thought like we don't want to do this in general. But I would also say, like, it's just been a rule there for a while, so it's probably yeah. it could also be as simple as it's just their rule, and he he put no thought into it. That's yeah, that's true. But I I would say that uh, Lincoln's a really smart guy, so I would say that probably it's a combination of that and like even when you do give it a split second thought, the thought is like I've got this quarterback thing that I've got to handle. Like this is probably not the best moment to to go over it. I think it's wrong though because I think like you're you're not giving your guy enough credit a for how he would handle. He definitely did downplay a little bit. A media setting post post game. Yeah, and you're also like, and I don't think Lincoln Riley did this intentionally, like I said, but um, I think that it's one of those things where like he and he's he he's obviously not thinking about this aspect in that moment, but Caleb Williams having that opportunity to grow his brand after the biggest moment that like he might have this entire season is, I mean, that stinks, right? For Caleb Williams. Yeah. I mean, hopefully he gets more opportunities. Yeah. And hopefully that wasn't the peak of his, uh, his football career. I mean, which I've no, there's no reason to believe right. it will be, but. but Aaron, even if he plays well the rest of the year, there's not going to be another stage like the one he had on Saturday. Not in the regular season. No. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know. I, I I get where you're coming from. Like it, it it is weird to like if you have that role for any program, whether it's OU, Texas, USC, uh, Northern Iowa, whatever. Like it in the social media world, it's it is a little bizarre not to let freshmen talk to the media. Like, what are you really worried about? Because they could easily just go tweet something completely offensive and like get in trouble just as easily as they could say it to the media in yeah. a you know a media scrum. But I, I don't know. I just, it's not like, I, it's, look, in my, in my mind, it's not like we would have 
gotten anything interesting anyway. Well, no, like that, his play, that, his play would his, his play spoke way louder than anything he could have said. Yes, I agree brand. with that. I agree with that. I'm not I, like again. I think like when I bring this up, it's not because I think like you know we would have gotten some grand like statement from Caleb Williams. I'm saying a, it's his opportunity to make of that what he wants to he make of it. it. He earned, he earned that, that opportunity. That 30 seconds or whatever. Yes, with Hollywood. to put his name, image, and likeness in front of the entire country. That's my point. Yeah. Like yeah. he earned the opportunity to grow his brand in front of the entire country. Whether that turns into an extra dollar on an NIL deal or it turns into nothing or it turns into some sort of like great quote that everybody's hoping for, that's not the point of it. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, I, it, it, it is. And like we talked about that, like social media and stuff like how like how many like Spencer Rattler, for example, was on a Netflix show in high school. Yeah. And like. I mean, obviously that grew his brand exponentially. Yeah. You said you can throw Dustin Fields in that conversation. Jake Fromm, like all, like I would not be familiar with Jake Fromm as intimately as I am. Right. If it wasn't for that show. The Wake Forest quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> I know one player's name on the Wake Forest team that's currently undefeated. And it's Sam yeah, Hartman they're, they're because good. he was on QB1. Yeah, and they're good. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, they're they're undefeated. I, they, I guess they're, they had to be some caliber of good to be undefeated. But imagine but, if uh, Caleb Williams gets in front of that camera and... You know, they, they, he's obviously going to get the Spencer question, but he's, he says something like, you know, Spencer's my teammate. I support him 100%. And, like, that's all I'm going to comment about that. And then, like, they're like, what was that moment like? And he's humble. And he's like, you know, I never expected for my number to be called, but I was ready, you know, if that situation presented itself and it was an incredible atmosphere and my teammates, you know, really rose to the occasion. Like, what if he's humble and just, like, nails the interview? He becomes a way bigger legend than he already is. Like, it's... yeah. This isn't I mean, this just is, a like, I, you know, he's a freshman, so hopefully he doesn't say like, yeah, I'm way better than Spencer Rattler or something stupid like that. I, he wouldn't do that. He yeah. wouldn't do that. Like, and Holly Rose not going to sit there and badger him to give her some sort of right. answer on Spencer Rattler either. Like, come on. Yeah, look, it's I, it's an issue across college football, though. And it's yes. not just with freshmen because there's a lot of coaches that like Tom Herman did it after they in 2018 when they won on that that kick, dicker the kicker field goal. He brought those dudes into the press conference and would not let them talk. Yeah. Like Ridiculous. The, the upperclassmen, like team captains, he brought to the press conference. Like this is an issue. Maybe not all, it's not at every program and every coach, but like there's a lot yeah. of coaches that won't let any of their players talk. It's stupid. And, and I will also say this, I, I, this comment also is pointed at some of these premium positions in college football, because we want to act like all college football players are equal and every position is equal. That's not true. Right. There are a few positions in college football, like the quarterback at Alabama or the quarterback at Clemson or the quarterback at Ohio State or the quarterback at Oklahoma that are way bigger spotlight positions than any other position. And the rules don't necessarily apply the same to them as they do everywhere else. Bryce Young got a million dollars before he ever started a game for Alabama. Bryce Young had never started a game before this season, and he had a million dollar NIL deal before he ever started. Like the NIL thing changes everything. It changes everything. Yes. So. Handling the quarterback position at Oklahoma like it's any other position is false, incorrect. That's not the, it's different. The reality is it is different. And, you know, DJ Uyunglele got a Dr. Pepper deal because he's the quarterback at Clemson. If he's the Dr. quarterback. Pepper's trying to pull out of that so no, bad. No, it's a bad one. I, I agree. But it happened because he's the quarterback at Clemson. If 100%. he's the quarterback at Utah, he doesn't get that deal. And the Oklahoma quarterback position is the same as those. Like, you have to handle it differently is all I'm saying. 100%. DJ, by the way, another guy from that that Netflix show that yes. built a brand. Yeah. He didn't even talk. Exactly. He just, I mean, he talked for like 10 minutes. 
But we saw yeah, his face quarterback. and we heard his name. Yeah. And we're like, okay, this dude's legit. But yeah, yeah it's like these kids come into their program. Like they have brands before they even enroll in college. Yes. So, and it's they're a in the public eye from the, than it was yeah. five years ago in college football. And I, I think a lot of people, like, I'm not saying I like this part of the sport, but the reality is it's a major part of the sport now. So yeah. to just say, like, I don't like it, so we should, we just don't need to act like it exists is ridiculous. Yeah, it's, yeah. I don't know. It, it, yeah, like, I, I, I get it. it. I don't know. I guess I get it from both sides. I, I get why Lincoln wouldn't let him talk, and I get why people want him to talk. Yeah, I, like I don't care from a content standpoint whether the guy ever speaks or not. Well, but if talk, it's my yeah, son making an evaluation of whether he wants to go to Alabama where he can get a million dollar NIL deal or go to Oklahoma where as a freshman he's never going to be in front of the media to grow his brand, like I'm just saying this will be used against them in recruiting circles. There's already a story on Yahoo Sports about it. Yeah. Like that's I mean, the reality of the sport in 2021. I'm not like this isn't a personal thing for me. I'm pointing out a very real issue that is is going to become a bigger issue as time goes on. Is my right? Point. Like you like you said, you're not. He's not going to be on your show. No, he, you're not like you're not writing a, a story like trying to find some quotes. Like best case scenario, he talks and you spend sixty seconds talking about what he said, and you spend forty minutes talking about the game. Yes. Like it, no matter what, like you're going to talk more about the way he played. At least like from our profession like yes, we're not right yes for it's us it's not about the words for us it's yes. about like the action yeah <sighs> crazy man. words though it's a crazy, uh, crazy shout word. out to the raiders for getting out of that john gruden contract oh, oh. i know you we'll talk future about future alabama later. offensive analyst john gruden yeah after bill o'brien takes over the head yeah. coach job in new england yeah it's john gruden's turn to get in there yeah the nick saban retreads yeah uh, dude, I feel like there is so much football stuff that I still want to hit, but I am short on time. And so much NFL stuff going on. I yeah, know. it's. Uh, maybe we'll. I'll touch base with you later. Maybe we'll uh, have to schedule a, a second recording. So. Whatever you want to do, man. I'm. I'm here. I, I got time. I All got right. time to talk football. All right. Sounds good. I gotta get. Uh, I gotta get little man ready for school. So. All right. All right. All right. Good luck, on. See ya. Sounds good. That is Aaron Davis. I'm Colby Daniels. It's Tuesday Davis here on the Colby Daniels podcast. Podcast is over.